Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review, along with Amanda Andrews, the associate editor of New Hampshire Business Review and our producer. Welcoming you to our uh, this edition of the, of the Down to Business podcast. This week we have on uh, Christina Fitzpatrick, who is, I think she's been for about a little over the last month, the new uh, state director for the AARP in New Hampshire which is a uh, significant organization, as I'm sure many people know, and I'm sure many people listening to this podcast, because of our, our demographics of the Business Review, I'm sure many of you are members, <laughs> or at least eligible to be members. But anyway, uh, uh, Christine's going to give us an update, what's going on at ARP, but also just talk a little about herself and you know, her background. So if, Christina, welcome to, the, uh, to Down to Business. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you very much, Jeff. I'm really glad to be here. Great. So listen, Christina, so, so I said you started like you know, sometime late summer, uh, and I know that you've had a, a pretty deep background with the AARP. Could you go a little bit about what you've done there and how you ended up in New Hampshire? Sure. So my background is largely in public policy. So helping AARP to think about what our approach to issues should be. And so that's meant working with staff across the country to find out what are the issues of the day? What are they seeing? How are they, what are they seeing from members? Like how, what they're hearing about from members, what they're hearing about from other advocacy groups and legislators. And then taking that to AARP's leadership and saying, these are the issues, these are the competing interests, and here's some recommendations from staff. So that's been a really, um, fulfilling and fun process for me because it means learning about a lot of different issues and thinking deeply about them and how they affect people 50 and older. And it's that's what an aspect of AARP that is important is that we do serve an enormous membership. You know, people 50 and older, that's a lot of different age groups with a lot of different interests. And I think people tend to think about AARP as being about the elderly and the, the needs and interests of people who are of traditional retirement age. But we also have this, uh, this large group of members who are still in the workforce and aren't thinking about um, you know, the, the needs of having you know, trouble in the home and how do you make your home um, more accessible once you start having more trouble uh, opening jars or or uh, have needing needing help. So ARP has a lot of different uh, resources that are of interest to people across the, the age spectrum. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I know because, because you're especially uh, public policy, I'd like to talk a little bit about what, what are the, uh, the main uh, objectives of the ARP in New Hampshire, but also nationally, right now as we head into the uh, the election now that you know the Hampshire's primary is over and I guess that was considered the last primary in the country of significance and uh, you know how do you see that shaping up and what are the big issues that you're keeping an eye on one thing that's been important to us this year is making sure that people have the information they need to be able to cast their ballots because there have been a lot of changes over the past few years across the country and there have been some in new hampshire in terms of some redistricting and um and people have been more interested in the past few years in absentee 
balloting, absentee voting. And so we've developed some resources to help with that. So it was important before the primary, it will be important going forward before the general election. So one thing I wanna do is let people know about where they can find this information, which is at aarp.org vote. And that has, that's a landing page that is all about New Hampshire voting information. That's been a big focus for AARP this year is getting the word out. In terms of issues, we have spent a lot of time on prescription drug prices and trying to adopt policy that would help to get those under control and help it help people be able to afford their medications. And that's been important at the federal level, but also at the state level. And there have been a lot of wins in this regard. And we're really proud of that and really wanting to make sure that the promise of these new laws is realized and that what is on paper in terms of helping people actually makes it to people where they are and makes a real difference. Yeah, you know, I noticed uh, you have written a, an op-ed just like a day or so ago. I got it, I got it, I received it for publication. And you're talking about this uh, this most recent uh, effort to, to, to uh, it's, in, it's in the, I guess in the, uh, the new Inflation uh, Reduction Act, uh, that transaction relief, or whatever it's called, the IRA, that uh, it, they've got they've got some kind of caps on on the prices, and they're giving and they're finally giving Medicare a chance to negotiate uh, drug prices. What kind of an impact do you think that's going to have? It's it's hard to say numbers wise, but the, there's estimates that it's going to it's going to save. Um, save the federal government some money and save people a, a bunch of money and it will will do that without reducing any kinds of services so by be, being able to negotiate prescription drug prices you're just bringing to bear the same economies of scale that you see in you know a sam's club or something mm -hmm. where they buy in bulk and therefore they get it for less and therefore they can sell it for less and so that's that's what this um, prescription drug negotiating authority is about. It's Medicare's the biggest single payer in the country, and we know that these drugs are getting sold for lower prices in other parts of the world. So we know it's possible. So giving Medicare that power is just a common sense reform. What's also you know, going to help people a lot is this cap on out-of-pocket expenses for for drugs. And it's $2,000, which sounds like a lot, but there are so many people who spend more than that or who would need to spend more than that if they were going to get the prescriptions that they need. And we hear countless stories of people rationing their drugs because they can't afford as much as their doctors have prescribed. So we're really glad about that, that aspect of the bill as well. You know, you, you mentioned that about about the the common sense of of having Medicare negotiate uh, drug prices. It always struck me as kind of an odd thing that there's been so much opposition over the years because I mean, there's something that, like you said, Walmart does it. <laughs> they negotiate with their vendors all the time. Any big company negotiate. GM does that. Any company negotiates for the prices, especially if you have more buying power, you have the ability to negotiate. But their hands were tied for forever. And do you have any sense of why there was finally movement on this? You know, 
what, I mean, what's it, why, why, did, why all of a sudden have we seen this common sense thing happening and there hadn't been any movement on it for so many years? I think the reason that there hasn't been movement on it is because of the um, pharmaceutical companies having a very strong lobbying presence on Capitol Hill. I've heard politicians talk about, you know, there's like three drug lobbyists for every one politician, you know, every one legislator. And it's so that's why there has been so much resistance is there's been a lot of money behind keeping the status quo. And I think advocates like AARP have been working for years, you know, decades since the um, Medicare Part D was implemented to get this changed. And so I like to think that that advocacy has just been chipping away at that opposition over time and really creating a, a groundswell of um, support from the public. I mean, that's what AARP has done is mobilize our members to tell legislators we want this change now and we need it. And that's, that is the power of AARP is to marshal our members to make the case um, and kind of make it so that politicians can't ignore, ignore these needs. Yeah, it's, that's, I mean, I have to say that, you know, cause I've been closely following AARP just, you know, as, as a journalist for many years and I've noticed how you really that's one thing about the organization it's very focused and it stays focused on issues no matter how long it takes <laughs> and prescription drug pricing is 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 an obvious example of that i mean you just kind of don't get distracted by by uh, uh you know temporary i mean obviously you're concerned about more than just temp prescription drug prices but that has been in the uh, crosshairs of arp for, for for so long and it's really quite impressive that you finally were able to get it through absolutely absolutely there was a lot of celebrating going on i must say i just want to ask a couple of things maybe a little more specific in new hampshire what do you what are like the do you think the two or three biggest issues that that you guys in new hampshire are are working on that are more specific to new hampshire or of, of you think of primary concerns to Older people, older adults in New Hampshire. I don't, I don't know what to call people that who are my age. Older adults. That's that's what we go with. <laughs> older adults. Well, I know some people my age who don't act like adults, but that's another matter. <laughs> I, I won't comment on that. <laughs> uh, let's stick with prescription drugs for just a, uh, another minute. So for, wow, um, New Hampshire has something called the Prescription Drug Affordability Board. And that has been in place for a little while, but without, without the ability and the funding to actually function well. And so last legislative session, AARP and several other advocacy organizations worked hard to prevent the Prescription Drug Affordability Board from being dismantled entirely. And then also was able to get um, rules and funding in place so that it can really operate well and effectively. So that's one thing, one of those things that I referred to earlier, we have the law in place, we have the funding, we wanna make sure that that stays um, and because there are sure to, there's sure to be efforts to 
to stop it, but then also that it gets implemented well. And that's just always sort of the, the one-two punch. You need the law and then you need it to be implemented well. So prescription drug prices are going to continue to be a focus of AARP in New Hampshire and at the national level. Another focus that is really relevant to our entire membership, just maybe in different ways, is helping people to be able to age in their homes. And that's important for people who need that care, but it's also important for their caregivers. So if you if you have uh, you're in your 50s, you have aging parents and they have needs, you it's important that it's not just any individual trying to meet all the needs of an aging parent who their needs multiply. So there's health issues, but there's also, you know, help with groceries and help with, you know, changing light bulbs even. That seems like such a mundane thing, but if you can't get up on a ladder anymore, you need assistance with that. And we want people to be able to age uh, at home safely. So there are all kinds of things that you can do to make your home a safer place to be. There are all kinds of resources out there, or there should be, for helping people to um, age in their homes. And then there are things that we'd still need to work on. So affordable housing is a big issue. Being able to have a healthcare aid or something come into your home and be able to, to help with bathing, making sure that people are getting their medication, making sure that they are um, able to get to the doctor and things like that. We don't have that now. There's a real bias in the system and the way it's funded. There's a bias in favor of nursing homes, that it becomes less expensive for families for the older person to go into a nursing home than to stay in the community. Hmm. And we wanna, we wanna change that. There are policy changes that can happen where we remove that bias in favor of institutions and instead make sure that we have the resources in place so that people can age in their homes because that's what they wanna do. They don't wanna be in an institution that, that feels like a, you know, a medical establishment when they, it's not that they need medical care, they just need help with daily, daily living. And the third well, issue I'll just mention is um, we wanna make sure that people, older adults are treated fairly in the workplace because age discrimination continues to be an issue in hiring and in promotions and opportunities. And so there's that, we wanna remove those kinds of biases, those, that kind of discrimination and help people understand the value of older workers because there are lots and lots of studies that show not just the value of older workers themselves and the experience and other kinds of soft skills that, um, that are gained through experience, but there's also a lot of research about how mixed age teams produce better results than, than teams that are less age diverse. We want to make sure that employers understand those things, try to make uh, working better for older adults. Yeah, getting back to that, to, to uh, aging and, and in place at home, uh, what are some of the incentives that, that can be made to, to kind of change the, uh, the the dynamic there, where it is there is there is a kind of a 
it makes it easier to, to, to send someone to a nursing home as opposed to staying at home. What are some of those incentives that, that can be uh, employed? Well, there are rules in Medicaid, which pays for a lot of, of um, long-term services and supports care, where there are services that they will cover in a nursing home that they won't cover if the, that same service is delivered within somebody's own home. So that's kind of an easy, again, it seems like a no-brainer that, um, or just a common sense, um, that you would you would try to equalize that, that it shouldn't matter where you're getting the service, it should, it should be covered. So that's, that's one example. And there are just um, more arcane rules and regulations that all, all taken together result in these, this, these incentives towards care pe being provided in nursing homes rather than at home. Yeah. You know, another, I, I always think of another hurdle to this, and it it's, it's, uh, involves uh, something that's been going on in, in, in this state and around the country for a while now, is the, uh, the depleted uh, uh, long-term care workforce. I don't know if it's depleted, but there's, there's just not enough people in the long-term care workforce. And a lot of it has to do with, uh, with wages and training. And is that something that you guys are paying attention to, or do you have uh, some ideas about how to, how to approach this, uh, this subject? Yes, it's something that is definitely on our radar screen and that we are trying to address. Because you're right, there is a shortage. And it's, there's not just a shortage, there's also a lot of turnover. And that kind of, when your care providers keep changing, like when the person's coming into your home is different every few weeks or few months, that really is, is stressful and a cause for anxiety, both for the people receiving the care and their family members who wanna make sure that um, their parents or whoever else is receiving good care. So one problem here is that those jobs are very low paying, so they're, the, the wait, hourly wage is very low, and the kind of security that can come from having sick leave or having vacation leave or having health insurance, those jobs don't come with those things. And so it's, it makes it harder to convince people to stay when you know, maybe they could get a dollar or two more an hour if they go somewhere else. So making those jobs higher quality is, is important and part of that can come down to training but if people have more skills then they can earn a higher wage and so there are things that you can do for educational institutions to try to make sure that they can provide this kind of service because they're also oversubscribed as well you know there are more people who want to take course, courses at community colleges than can actually that there's room for and really uh, th th so it's it is a oh the the other thing I wanted to raise is that there's a there's a the cost issue is you want the care workers to be better compensated because the work they do is so important and you want that continuity and you want people to stay but when you increase the cost of a home health aid if you increase their wages that increases the cost of long term services and supports mm -hmm. which are you know barely affordable anyway. So there's that tension and AARP is conscious of both sides of that and that you have to, to address both. 
Yeah, it's one. That's one of the ironies of of uh, I've seen, especially it's exposed a lot in COVID. Is that uh, there's so much of a need for uh, people who for long-term healthcare workers who take care of uh, people at homes, especially, and also for people in daycares to take care of the children. Yes. Uh, children, and they're also among the lowest-paid people, and there's like a disconnect there that that doesn't seem. There's some kind of logic missing there, but. There it's is. There, yeah, yeah. There are studies about you know that parking lot attendants sometimes get paid more than childcare providers, and so there's a real exactly as you said. There's a real disconnect between the importance that we ascribe to kids being in high quality environments and to older people who have different kinds of vulnerabilities being protected and having having good care. So it's a it is one of those issues um, kind of across the age spectrum. Cool. I, I just, I, you know, before we let you go, I, want, I just want to ask you your, your impressions. I know you've, you've been in this state like for, like I said, a, a little over a month. I think that's right. That's right. Uh, and you were, you were just, you came here from Wisconsin, I understand. You were working as the interim state director there before coming here. Is that? That's right. So, uh, so for three months last year, I was in Wisconsin or doing the Wisconsin job because it was still during COVID times when we weren't traveling. Oh, okay. So I'm okay. moving here from the Washington D.C. area. Okay. So pretty different, I would say. Yeah. So what are you, what are your impressions of New Hampshire so far? That it's lovely. I just am uh, really enjoying the the green space and just how easy it is to get outside. So just earlier this week, I was tired of being in my apartment. And so I went to um, Lake Massabesic, Massabesic Lake in Manchester and just found a uh, walking path that went down to the shore and sat on a rock and participated in this meeting. And you can't do that in DC. So uh, yeah. that's a really, really special about New Hampshire. And I'm people have been so welcoming and so i'm just really getting looking forward to getting to know the state more yeah because there's a lot of it's a small state but there's a lot to it <laughs> absolutely and you can drive 10 miles and it looks different you know each time it's really kind of something yeah. so that's great yeah well i just want to say welcome to the state welcome to new hampshire and uh i do have to say one other thing I, since you're especially public policy i'm sure you you just like so many other people, and I'm being somewhat sarcastic here, can't wait for the presidential candidates to show up. <laughs> to the I'm sure of that. That's very different. Um, so I actually live just over the DC line in Maryland. And let's just say people don't pay attention to Maryland. The presidential <laughs> candidates don't pay attention to Maryland the way they do to New Hampshire. So yeah, definitely. It's I would say the day after election day this year, they'll be showing up in droves. They've been here already. Yeah, they're really yes. going up more once you know once get we get this minor election behind us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Christina Fitzpatrick, the state director of AARP New Hampshire, thank you so much for joining us this week, uh, and best of luck in your job. And we hope to have you on again to talk about what's going on at the organization. Thank you very much, Jeff. I look forward to that. So this is Jeff Feigl with Amanda Andrews uh, saying, "Be well, everybody."